on week number six on our topic um, of righteousness. We've been working through and started in Proverbs and sort of jumped into New Testament sanctification. And it's important because we're New Covenant believers. And, um, and we saw, you know, that this topic of righteousness is not uh, something confined only in the Old Testament. It's everywhere in the Bible. Um, so that's why we're spending so much time on it. Uh, it's massive. Uh, Old Testament, New Testament. And um, as you probably picked up, sort of as we've been going through this mini-series, one of my main goals has been sort of to help us to see that the Old Testament sort of depiction of, especially the book of Proverbs, righteousness and, and, and sanctification, how we're to pursue it, is not a whole lot different from the New Testament. Um, there are some differences, but as far as the, the main things, I mean, it's, it's pretty much the same. I mean, Proverbs and the New Testament both place love as the core of the fulfillment of the law, core of God's law, love for God and, and love for others. It emphasizes the, the internals more than just externals only. Yeah, you've got to keep the externals of the law, but true righteousness consists of character and personhood of the heart. Um, New Testament, Old Testament, both. Um, both recognize that, yeah, there's one sense in which there is none righteous, no, not one, and that no one has fulfilled God's law perfectly. We have failed desperately. We are in desperate need of a, of a Savior, of an external righteousness. But at the same time, both Old Testament and New Testament talk of people that are actually righteous. It says this man was righteous and blameless. And we saw that, obviously, it's not saying this person has obtained sinless perfection somehow. It's not what it is, but it's a person who has recognized their sin, run to Christ's provision, and are now trying to bring their lives in line with God's law, not in order to merit anything, but as an expression of faith and love for them. That's who the righteous are. Um, and then, a couple weeks ago, we started talking about uh, the, the idea that righteous works are not just extra. They're not just icing on the cake um, of your relationship with God, but they are absolutely essential. And they're essential not as root, they're not essential as anything that adds to our position with Christ. They're not anything that adds to what Christ has done, to our justified standing. We are made right with God through faith alone and Christ alone. And yet they're essential. Righteous works are essential, not as root, but as fruit. That evidence and demonstrate what has really happened in our lives. It, it demonstrates the possession of the Spirit. It demonstrates that we have genuine faith. It demonstrates a love for God, the new birth, and a union with, with Christ. And this is just like repeated over and over in every New Testament book. Your works are important. They don't add anything, but they're important. There will be a judgment according to works. It'll be, um, how do the works testify what has really happened in our life? And then last week, we, uh, we, we saw that both New, New Testament um, and even the book of Proverbs call us to pursue and strive for righteous living. We don't just sort of sit back passive. It's something we're called to put all of our effort for and to go after. Um, and we gave um, five different reasons for that. So... I hope I will finish up sort of this topic this week and next week. I just want to ask one more question to sort of round out what we have talked about so far um, in the topic of righteousness. 
Um, and again, there's a lot more we could say, and I think there's a lot more we will say as we start going through the book of Proverbs, but um, this is going to be our last question this weekend and next week. Um, so you can see on your outline, um, I ask, it, how now are Christians to pursue righteousness? So we're commanded last week, we saw, to pursue it, to strive after, not to be passive, to go after with all of our might. The question, though, is how should we do that? Say it another way, how does Christian obedience differ from that of unbelievers? Um, I ask this because even unbelievers have God's moral law written on their hearts. Even unbelievers could use the Bible in a way to pursue morality and, and, and do good things. But what characterizes a Christian's pursuit of righteousness. What is false righteousness? And how does the way we approach the book of Proverbs differ from the way an unbeliever would use the book of Proverbs? It's a significant question. Because we're to strive after it, but we must strive after it in the New Testament way, as New Covenant believers, and not as an unbeliever would. Um, so last week we said we must aim at righteous living, but this week we want to say, how do we do that? Um, what will guard us in our pursuit of righteousness so we don't fall into moralism or Phariseeism? So this morning, I want to give you two things that ought to characterize a believer's pursuit of righteous living. And then next week, we'll, we'll give four more things just to try to round this out and help us to see... Um, Really, what would all to characterize is what, what does New Testament sanctification look like? So you can see first on your outline. First thing is that Christian obedience must be done in the Spirit. Christian obedience must be done in the Spirit. Turn to Romans 8. Right? We're going to spend most of our time this morning in Romans chapter 8. And there really isn't another uh, New Testament passage which crystallizes the nature of Christian living through the Spirit like Romans 8 does. It is packed. And uh, it's good. Um, so we'll just spend our time here digging around. Um, and the first thing I want to point out from this chapter, you can see in your outline, is that the possession of the Spirit is the defining mark of Christianity. That's what it means to be a Christian. That's what Christian life, uh, the Christian life is defined by, the Holy Spirit. Um, if you're a believer, you are freed from condemnation and you have the Holy Spirit. You have both. And if you have the Spirit at work in life, it evidences that you have no condemnation, that you're free um, from that in Christ. So look at verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation for who? For those in Christ. Well, how do you get in Christ over and over in the New Testament? By faith. By faith. By faith. You're in Christ. Then Paul says, for, verse 2, I don't think, verse 2, he's given the reason why there's no condemnation. He's given evidence. And we'll see that in verses 3 or 4. He'll explain it. It says, there's no condemnation for those in Christ. Verse 2, for the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. So verse 1, you have justification in Christ Jesus. In verse 2, you have sanctification 
in Christ Jesus. I think he's saying, verse 1, there's no condemnation for those in Christ. In verse 2, he's saying, because look, here's some evidence. Look, the Spirit has set you free from sin. The Spirit is powerfully working in your life to free you from slavery to sin. And then we sort of get his logic in verses 3 and 4. Look what he says. He says, because God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. So there's that word condemnation again, just like verse 1. So why is there now no condemnation? Because God condemned sin. He condemned my sin in his son. That's the reason. And then just like verse 2 goes into sanctification, verse 4 does the same. But look what he says. He says, in order that, this is the result because God condemned my sin in Christ. There's no condemnation in Christ. What is the result? The result is that in order that, the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. Who? Who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. That's what it means to be a Christian. You don't have condemnation because of Christ. And the result is that you have the Holy Spirit mightily working in your life to free you from enslavement to sin. And that testifies to the fact that there's no condemnation. And it liberates you to fulfill the law. So for those in connection with Christ, there's no condemnation and there's sanctification because of the Spirit. Now drop your eyes down to verses 9 and 10. These verses make it crystal clear that there's no such thing as a, as a believer who does not have the Spirit. Nor is there such a thing as a person who has the Spirit who is not a genuine believer. Look at verse 9. You, however, are not in the flesh, characterized by that old man, that old sinful nature, but you're in the Spirit. You're under the sway of the Spirit, in control of the Spirit. If, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. In other words, if you don't have the spirit of Christ, you're not his. That's what it means to be a believer. If you're a believer, you have the Holy Spirit in your life. To belong to Christ means that you have the presence of Christ in your life through his spirit. Working out the character of Christ in your life. And that's massive implication. So that's where we're going to start. The possession of the Spirit is the defining mark of Christianity. It's what it means to be a believer. If you're a believer, you have the Spirit. And you know there's no condemnation. And the result of Christ's work is that you have the Spirit powerfully liberating you from sin. So that's where we're starting. And now, notice the second thing under this main point. Is that the Spirit... Not only is he essential, he's the defining mark of Christianity, but the Spirit's work makes obedience possible. The Spirit's work makes obedience possible. Or to say it another way, there is no genuine obedience. There is no genuine obedience where the Spirit is not present. Look at verses 5 through 8. Paul's contrasting through this whole section... The person according to the flesh and the person according to the spirit. He says, for those who live, whose lives are defined by, according to the 
flesh, that old Adam, that old nature, the anti-God nature. Those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. Now look at this, verse 7. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. For it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh sometimes please God. What does it say? They cannot. cannot please God. The flesh represents this old Adam nature which is in rebellion to God. If you've been with us on Saturday mornings, this is what Owen's talking about. It's just this old nature. It's just anti-God. It's who we are by default. It's what characterizes every person from birth. Anyone who's not a believer, who does not have the spirit, that's who they are. They're only old Adam. That's what characterizes them. And Paul makes it very clear that those who live under the sway of the flesh According to the flesh, with this mindset of the flesh, the values and the desires of the old sinful nature, they can only bring about sin and therefore death. The question is why? Well, look what he says. It's because the disposition of the flesh is what? What is it? He says the mind that's set on the flesh is what? Verse 8, verse 7. It is hostile to God. Or it is enmity towards God. Saturday mornings we were talking about um, in Owen's book. He says if, if it was enemies with God, enemies could be reconciled. You could reconcile in enemies. You could draw up terms of peace. But not with enmity. Enmity is the hatred. Enmity is the thing that creates enemies. Enmity cannot be made peace with. It must be killed. Enmity, that is what our sinful nature is. It's enmity. It is hatred. It's repulsion towards God. It hates God. That's what Paul says our old Adam nature is like. That's why the person in the flesh can't obey God or please God. He hates God. Even though he would never say that. They cannot. And more than that, look what he says. Not only can they not submit to God's law, but look what he says. They cannot even please God. Paul's saying that unbelievers who do not belong to Christ and don't possess his spirit are still characterized by that old Adam nature, which hates God and can, cannot submit to his law. In fact, they cannot even please him one iota. Impossible, Paul says. And this calls us to recognize that, that obedience to God is more than those externals. It consists of true nature of the heart. I mean, unbelievers do many good things. They give to charity. They build hospitals. They... Help AIDS victims. Um, they speak out against injustice. They can do kind acts to people. Um, they live moral lives. They can apply the book of Proverbs and help themselves set up moral boundaries. But Paul tells us here that none of that pleases God. None of that is true obedience. And um, sort of takes your breath away. That in the flesh, a person without the spirit it's not that they do some bad things, but it's everything they do is sin. Everything they do is unpleasing to God. They have no good if they have not the Spirit. Why? 
Because everything they're doing, they're doing it in hostility towards God. And you've heard the example before about the, the father who tells his kid to go out, cut the grass, and Johnny slams the door, screams at his dad, rips the lawnmower out of the shed, dumps gas, you know, he gets half the gas on the grass as he gets it in the mower, and he does everything out of anger and spite towards his dad, and he cuts the grass. Is it pleasing to his father? It's not pleasing to his father. He hates his father. That's what unbeliever, uh, unbeliever's obedience is like. They're not doing it out of a love for God. They're not doing it for his glory, nor are they doing it in faith and trust for him. They're doing it out of a heart that hates him. Even though they're, they're, they're not going to say they do, but the fact that they don't submit to his law, not just these cold externals, um, but of a, the law of doing all things for the glory of God, doing all things in the love of God, doing all things trust in God. They don't have that. It's not pleasing to God. Um, so that's not the case for believers, though, because we're not characterized by the flesh. Oh, we have the flesh fighting against us, but it's not what defines us anymore. It's not what controls us. As believers, we possess the Spirit. What characterizes our lives is the work of the Spirit. Those who possess the Spirit possess a new mindset. So while the flesh is unable to please God, the Spirit delivers us from the power of sinful flesh. That's what verse 2 and verse 4 are telling us. Uh, we're set free in Christ from the law of sin and death. In verse 4, we're actually able to fulfill the righteous requirement of the law because we walk now according to the Spirit. It's the defining mark of Christianity. You must have this. But we can't stop there because Paul doesn't stop there. Um, the, the, the possession of the Spirit is the defining mark of Christianity. You can't have any obedience without it. It's a decisive factor, but yet it's not the only factor. It's not the ultimate uh, factor. In other words, we don't just say, okay, I have the Spirit now because I'm a believer. Now I just sit back. And I watch the Spirit produce fruit in my life. And I just passive about it. Um, it's true victory over sin and a life of bearing righteous fruit is now possible because of the Spirit. But yet we're not to sit back and just watch the Spirit work. That's not how the Spirit works. Rather, by being made alive by the Spirit, now it's our daily duty to walk by the Spirit. And that's our next sub-point on your, on your outline. That those indwelt by the Spirit must actively live by the Spirit. Galatians 5.25 If we live by the Spirit, let us walk by the Spirit. John Owen put it this way. He said, The choicest believers who are assuredly freed from the condemning power of sin ought yet to make it their business all their days to mortify the indwelling power of sin. We have a war to fight. And... Uh, before it was impossible, it's possible now. And the fact that we have the Spirit, it calls us to get to work. Because right? it's possible. There's no condemnation, and we have the Spirit. Drop your eyes down to verse 12 through 13. Um, Paul tells us really um, what, what our lives should look like. Okay, so we have the Spirit, we're set free. What does life look like for us now? Verse 12. So then, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you are putting to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Um, that's it. That's what our life should look like. By the Spirit. We are living, putting to death the deeds of our rebellious nature by 
the Spirit. And we're going to talk about what that means in our, in our next point in just a minute. So draw sort of a line down from this, down to Roman numeral number two. We're going to explain, what does that mean? How do I do that by the Spirit? What does that mean? Um, we're going to explain it in a minute. But first thing I just want to point out here is Paul's saying the same thing we've been saying over and over um, past couple weeks. He says, those who live according to the flesh will die. Clearly he's talking about eternal death because everyone's going to die no matter if you live by the Spirit or not. He's saying, You're, if you life is characterized by flesh, you testify, you don't have the Spirit, nor do you have no condemnation, you will perish. But if your life is characterized by mortifying the flesh, not perfect, perfectly, but bearing fruit, living by the Spirit, you'll live because of what it testifies to. So that's it. That, that, that's our first point. The Spirit is decisive. Christian obedience must be done in the Spirit because without it, can't please God. But with the Spirit, you're able to now make war on the flesh and actually bear fruit for God. The Spirit is decisive. Number two, Christian obedience must be done in the strength of Christ, i.e., by faith. Must be done in the strength of Christ, that is, by faith. Flip over to Galatians 2.20, and we'll come back here to Romans 8, but... It's such a significant passage, and the familiarity of it um, a lot of times just causes us to look over it, but this is just central to Paul's uh, theology of sanctification, and how do we now live our lives. Look what he says, Galatians 2.20, I'm sure you've memorized it. He says, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives within me. In the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me, and he gave himself for me. I think what Paul is saying is that through the Holy Spirit, his old fleshly nature has now been put to death. It's as though Christ has gone into the cave and chopped off the head of the dragon. It's dead. It's mortally wounded. Through the possession of the Spirit in our lives, the Spirit's working out the death of Christ in us. He's working out the killing of the sinful nature is decisively dead. The dragon's head's been chopped off. Yet its tail is still swinging in there. We still fight the old man, but it's decisively crucified because of the Spirit. I'm crucified with Christ. It's no longer what rules Paul, but how Christ is alive within him through the Spirit. New spiritual life and desires for God. But notice, Paul doesn't stop there. He tells us, because that is true, look at how now he lives his life from day to day. What characterizes his life? Because he's crucified, because Christ now lives in him, how does he live? Look what he says. The life I now live, I live how? By faith. faith. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Paul did it begin only by faith in Christ. He continued every day by faith in Christ. And notice, it's not just general faith. Yeah, I believe in Christ. It's not just general faith and general love. Yeah, he loves me. It's true, Jesus loves us. But look what he says. It's a faith in Christ who did what? Who loved me. Past tense. Christ decisively loved me. Where? At the cross. Because he gave himself up. That's what Paul's saying. I live daily my life by faith in Christ's specific love for me specifically. And he expressed that love in a specific way as he died for me. 
That's how Paul lived from day to day. That is how he worked out the presence of Christ in him. They crucify, he's been crucified with Christ, and Christ has lived within him. But how does that look like practically? Paul tells us, I live by faith every day. I'm the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. That's what it looks like. There's no progression in sanctification where there is not first confidence and rest in Christ's love, which he showed you in particular at Calvary. And we apply this. We must apply this to every aspect of our life. We, we look at our lives through this lens. It's not just a general, okay, he loved me, but everything I do, every word, every action, everything I do, I look through the lens of Christ's love to me. In other words, I will obey because Christ loved me, not the other way around. I don't pursue obedience in order to get Christ to love me. I pursue sanctification because of my confidence in his love. Look at Owen, what he said. We, we read this in chapter 10 last week. He said, it's not enough that a person be a believer, though that be necessary unto every good work, but also that faith be peculiarly acted in every duty that we do. Always consciously in faith, every duty we do. No duty acceptable to God can be performed but by the actual working of Christ, who is our life. Well, how do we get that? Look what he says. And this is no other way derived unto us but by faith. When says the apostle, Christ lives in me, and the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God. Not only was Christ his life, a living power, principle unto him, but he led a life that is discharged vital actions in all duties of holiness. He pursued holiness and sanctification by faith in the Son of God, deriving supplies of grace and strength of him thereby. So Christian obedience is to be done by the strength of Christ, confidence in his love, confidence in his work for until you are confident in what Christ has done, there's not going to be much progression in, in sanctification. So let's go back to Romans 8, verse 13, and um, we'll try to wrap this up really quick. A couple more things to say about, about this point. And this point is very similar to what we, what we just said, is we to live by the strength of Christ, and here we're saying we live by the Spirit. By having our mind under the influence of the things of the Spirit. Look at 8.13. Paul says, if you live according to the flesh, you'll die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you'll live. Now the question is, how do you do that? What does that mean? How do I live actively by the Spirit? Well, look up at verse 5. I think Paul tells us. Verse 4, he's saying, you walk by the Spirit. So there's this idea of you're living actively by the Spirit. I think verse 5 explains that. It says, for those who live according to the flesh, set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit, set their minds, actively set their minds on the things of the Spirit. I think that is Paul's paradigm for how we live by the Spirit. It's by setting your mind on the things of the Spirit. Well, what are the things of the Spirit? That phrase is only used one time, other place in Paul, and that's, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14. The natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit for the follow to him. The things of the Spirit there is clearly scriptures. It's clearly the gospel. So let me sum this up. What does it mean to walk by the Spirit? 
I think it's being filled and brought under the influence of the things of the Spirit. The Scriptures. It's having a life filled with the Word of God. It's not just a cold knowledge of the Scriptures, but it's a lively faith in the Scriptures. And not just a faith in the Scriptures, but a faith in the blood-bought promises of God given to us in Scripture. How do I live by the Spirit? How do I live by the strength of Christ? It's by faith in Christ and all that He accomplished. And by setting my mind, by having my mind influenced, under the influence of the Word of God, that is guaranteed for me because of Christ's work for me. 2 Corinthians 1.20 says, All the promises of God find their yes in Him. I fight faith. I fight sin. Pursue righteousness by faith. I trust in God's promises that are blood-bought for me. You can see a couple references. I encourage you to go look them up. It says exactly the same thing. 2 Corinthians 7.1, 2 Peter 1-5. through says the same thing. We pursue holiness by faith the blood-bought promises that are guaranteed for us. Um, we can go to many examples of that, and I think I'll try to work that out. So let me give you a picture here as we, as we close. Um, what do we do with the commandments? How do, we, how do we deal with those? We've already seen what place those have. They're what? They are not a ladder, but they're what? They're the, they're the train tracks that guide our life, that show us. They don't, they don't empower us, but they're what we love because they're the tracks to, to show us how to live. But it's not the steam in our engine. The commandments are not the steam. What's the steam? The Holy Spirit is the steam in our engines. We're propelled down the tracks of God's law by hearts that are filled with the steam of the Holy Spirit. But where does that come from practically? How do I get the steam actively working in my engines, propelling me down the tracks? It is by filling my boiler with the wood of the Word of God. And I light that wood on fire by faith. That is how we pursue it. I don't get strength by the commandments. That's what I love. That's what directs me. I'm empowered by the Spirit as I trust the Word of God, which is secured for me in Christ. I live by faith in Christ. That's what makes our obedience pleasing. You can see it on your, on your outline. Whatever doesn't proceed, proceed from faith, is sin. Owen said, mortification from a self-strength carried on by ways of self-invention unto the end of a self-righteousness is the soul and substance of all false religion in the world. We serve in the new way of the spirit, not in the old way of the letter. So when we come to Proverbs, that's what we're going to be, we're going to be doing. We, we want to be Christ-centered. We, we pursue sanctification out of confidence what Christ has done. And we do it by bringing our minds under the influence of the things of the spirit. So we are out of time. Um, I have some sort of diagnostic questions, some implications at the back of your outline. Um, just take them home, chew on them, uh, sort of apply what we've talked about this morning. Um, do I begin my efforts for sanctification with a confidence in Christ's love? Um, do I pursue sanctification by rejoicing in the fact and being confident in the fact that my flesh has been mortally killed. It's dead. I'm alive in the spirit. I'm not enslaved to sin. Do I actively bring my life under the influence of the things of the spirit, the word of God? Am I diligent about cultivating that? So take those home, chew on them, and um, pray about them.
So any questions or comments? I had to go pretty quickly through it. It's a lot of content, and we could spend a whole series on, on, just, this, uh, on just this topic. But any closing questions, comments? My main goal is to, is to show us um, the Christian life is very different from an unbeliever. How we're going to approach the book of Proverbs is very different from how an unbeliever would. We come in the spirit as those freed from the flesh, able actually to fulfill God's law. Not perfectly, but we're not in hostility to him anymore. We have a heart of faith. We love him. We love his Lord. And we, we pursue him. And, uh, and the way we do it is by reliance on our flesh. It's reliance on Christ who loved us and is filling our lives with reliance upon his promises, his word, his truth, which are famous. Any thoughts? Questions, comments? All right, let me pray.